0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn them to the book of Polyvians. So we are going to be in Polyvians chapter 12, looking at chapter 2, verses 12 through fifteen. <laughs> Continuing on from where we were. Well, The goal is to get this Bluetooth speaker hooked up so I get a cleaner audio stream, but well, just here for now. Maybe at some point I can figure out a way. During verse 12, the, the text says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without finish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast in the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering a the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's go to Lord prayer. Father God, we, uh, we pray for, God, uh, if we open up your word, we pray that you would, for the power of your spirit, that you would shine uh, a light on this text, that you would shine a light on our hearts, that the spirit uh, would intercede between us and your word, yourself, um, that he would, that he would. Illuminate the things that we breathe that we would understand it properly, God, that we would take from them what she would have us take from them, that she would use them in our lives uh, to bring herself glory and to edify us. God, uh, again, as we each, each week as we pray, we thank you for, uh, gospel believing churches in Boyd County. We thank you for, uh, churches, um, who are faithful to your word and preach, uh, Lord, uh, scriptures, proclaim your gospel, to exalt Jesus Christ, to call people out of darkness into, uh, your marvelous light. And we ask for your blessing on those churches. God keep them protected from the, the uh, temptations of the point. God keep them safe from the forces in our community that would seek to, to hinder or to bring them down. God help them to have um, powerful and effectual ministries in each of the contexts that they find themselves in, um, in, in truthful proclamation of God, but also with kind and generous hearts. Um, that that they would be honest in their own repentance, that they would call others to repentance and faith as well. God, we, um, as we look at our world, as we look at our community, God, we see many ways of um, ungodliness at work in in our uh, world and in our lives. God, we pray that you begin revival in our own hearts. That there are there are many things going on out there in the world, but God ask that you would um, begin revival with our own lives and our own and our own church. So help us to <laughs> turn from sin, turn from the things of the world, to focus on our hearts and minds to and values and lives and actions and desires and focus, on all those things. And your son Jesus Christ and that we would live by his word and that you would bless us in those things. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask you to say Jesus. Amen. amen. Okay, so um, we are continuing on in in our study of the book of Philippians. Um, and these themes that we've been talking about keep on building upon. Uh, sitting here looking out at y'all, and I'm thankful that James is here, because he's the one person who will draw my attention to this side of the room. Otherwise, I would just be stuck over here. Now, I have a full range where I can move back and forth. And get the whole so, now, Adrian's that to be good. There's, there's somebody to talk to about this thing. Uh, but we keep on building on these things, okay? So we've been talking about this broader idea of how we walk worthy of the gospel. Uh, how do we stand strong like warriors, strive together like athletes, faithfully serving as citizens of God's kingdom? All things that we've talked about in Philippians already. How do we live as Christians with unity and with integrity? How do we work, think, and believe as one body and, 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 and under the one cause of Jesus Christ? How do we live out? How do we walk faithfully? Those are all the kind of things that we've been talking about. Last week, we, we talked about the idea of part of the way we do that, part of the way we live that out, is by turning our eyes upon Jesus. So what do we do? Um, as we look to the example of Jesus Christ, as we look to his humility, his sacrifice, his service in the incarnation, the fact that He has stepped down out of heaven to become, take taken on flesh, the flesh of a servant, the flesh of an executed person, the flesh of a crucified person, That as we look to his selflessness, again, like we said last week, not just selflessness, but love, right? Not just thinking less of himself um, or thinking of himself less, but actually actively thinking of others more highly than himself. As we look to Jesus' example, do we begin to live out his life we're talking about? Um, This week, we get a glimpse, a fuller glimpse of how that sanctification works. And I think we're probably all aware, the way I'm using the word sanctification is talking about the progressive process by which God conforms us to the image of Jesus, right? The way he, little by little throughout our lives, makes us more and more like Jesus in all aspects of our life. That's what I mean when I talk about sanctification. And so we get a glimpse of how that sanctification actually plays out, how it actually works. And an exhortation, I think, that is not direct, but implicit, on the kind of life that we're supposed to live, Okay? The 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 uh, a picture of what it would look like for us to live this life, um, maybe language that we haven't used thus far in the book of Philippians. So let's start there at verse 12. The first thing that we notice in this whole process is this idea of the integrity of obedience. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, in remember these pieces, In Rome, in prison, writing to the church at Philippi, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he's asking them to continue to obey. So this kind of seems like it's almost like a passing, but but it actually frames the issue in a particular way. And it is this: Paul says, you guys were always very obedient when I was with you. All right. And now, I am asking that you would also be obedient when I'm not with you. Now, we know the reason why he has to say that. Probably not particularly because he distrusts the church of Bilbao or something like that. It's not like they are um, two-faced or something like that. But probably because he knows how people can be. Okay? He knows that what happens all the time is when the parent or the teacher or the boss is in the room, uh, we are on the straight and um, but as soon as that authority is gone, they start getting a little loose. Uh, we see that all across the board, right? We see that in our families. We see that in our workplaces. We see that in school. Um, the reason we know people act like this is because the reality is, is we all act like this in, at some level in our private lives. We all present one image two world, And then when we get behind closed doors, that image is a little looser or less Okay, you do that some way. Maybe you're lazier, maybe your language gets a little more free, particularly when you're doing home improvements. Um, Maybe your habits are less strict. The things that you allow in your head, things that you allow in your heart, are things that you would never reveal to If you have children, you have probably experienced that most humbling and sanctifying of events, and that is children's Sunday school prayer request time. Because what happens in that time is your kids, in an innocent, (laughs) naive way, take all of your garbage and lay it before the entire world. I have it a number of times in my life or a Sunday school teacher has come to me and said, you know, James made a comment about this. Or Alice back in the day, and she's a little kid, comment about this. And I go, interesting. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> uh, right? The reality is we're all sinners. Uh, they don't hear me say that that's good. Okay? That doesn't mean I'm saying, hey, you know what? We all got stuff in our private lives, so it's a big deal. Just go home and live it. No, that's not what's happening as fast. Paul's calling the church to integrity of character. That the life we live under the eye of scrutiny would be the same life that we live when we think that only God can see us, even though we pretend like He can't see us either. Paul's calling Philippi. He's calling me. He's calling you to that kind of life. To a life that is lived publicly the same way it is lived privately. A life that is lived under the eye of authority is the same one that is lived when there's nobody there to call you out. Now again, we ask this. That's been a question for the last few weeks. How does that work? What is the process for sanctification in our lives? Like, How does that start to manifest itself in our lives? Which brings us, I think, to one of the most important passages in Scripture, actually. At least practically... For us, get a grasp on how things work themselves out, okay, in terms of our sanctification. In some ways, it's a pretty vague passage, yet at the same time, it establishes sort of these categories of, at least at one level, what our work in sanctification is and what God's work is in sanctification. I hesitate to use that word, but I, I think it's the only way that we can get across the idea. It's just two brief passages. 12b, 2nd half of verse 12 and 13. And so what does he say in, in the 2nd half of 12? He says, you, all of us, Church of Philippi, Church of College Street, work out your own salvation with fear and trouble. Why? 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And again, in some ways, that's a, that's a very vague two lines. Okay, but at the same time, it gives us a broader picture of the way God is actually changing you, the way God is making you into the image of Christ, shaping you, the way it actually plays out. Theologian D.A. Carson makes his point about this passage. He says there's a number of important things that he didn't say. Notice that he didn't say a number of things. For example, he didn't say work to accomplish your salvation. For God has done his part, and now it's your turn to do your part. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, God has saved you, but now the perseverance part is all up to you. That's your responsibility. He doesn't say that.
1: He also doesn't
0: say, you know what, let go and let God. Right? Just relax. The Spirit's got this. He's going to carry you along, and you don't even have to worry about it. That's what's going to happen. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say any of those things because none of those things are right. None of those things are the way we should understand the process of sanctification in our lives. But what do we know? What does it say? It says you, you work out your salvation. Right? That is to say you come to grips with it. You understand its reality. You understand its consequences. You understand what it demands of you. You pursue holiness. You pursue obedience. Alright? You, and you do those things in the context of fear and strength, right? Of the awesome responsibility that it is and the awesome authority that you are answering to. Okay? We should all be, on every level of our lives, way more aware of the fact that the person who we answer to is the God of the universe. And so as we live out our lives, we shouldn't have this attitude of this sort of thing. Oh, so we it's fine. God's, uh, as, as Voltaire said, don't worry about it. God will forgive. That's his job. Right? We don't, that's not the attitude that we go to um, God in, right? We stand before God in fear and truth because we recognize that we are called to live in perfect holiness, and we stand before God who is perfectly holy. All right? Pay attention as you read Scripture. And you will over and over again regularly see a consistent call to be active, participatory in your pursuit of holiness and obedience. All through the scriptures, right? Over and over again. Now here's the interesting thing. Why should you be active, right? Why should you be active and work towards Working out your salvation and training. You know why? Because God is already working it in That's what the next passage says. And they said this both at the level of willing and working. Desire and action, intention and accomplishment. All of these working according to his good pleasure. Okay? So there's this, there's this thing that goes on. You must pursue. You must be active in seeking obedience and holiness, and it is God that is doing those things in your life and accomplishing. He is the one empowering, and He is the one um, fulfilling those things. Those things are true at the same time. They are like railroad tracks that go on forever, running parallel to each other and never crisscross. Okay, they are just truths. I love how Spurgeon talked about the fact that in Western Christianity, there has been incalculable energy put into trying to reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Right, People have been talking about it for all of recorded biblical history. The Jews talked about it. The Christians have talked about it. We've been debating it for 2,000 years. How do we reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? You know what Ferguson said? He said, I see no reason to have to reconcile friends. Uh, These are two truths that exist at all times and always have. We pursue God empowers and accomplishments. And the motivation for our pursuit is on the fact that God empowers and accomplishes. So here's the thing that I think is important. Why does he give us this brief explanation of the nature of sanctification and obedience? Again, it does collaborate on it. That doesn't just like spill out this picture for us. But I think it's because the things that he's supposed to suggest to the church at Philippi are pretty weighty. All right. And he's basically reminding them of the fact that you must pursue, it, and it is God who empowers. He's reminding them of those things because A, if we don't actively these things in our life, they're never going to happen accidentally. Okay? You're never going to stumble into holiness. You're just going to wake up one day and be like, whoops, I suddenly became holy accidentally. That's not what's going to happen. Also, at the same time, No matter how much effort you put into it, you would never be able to accomplish these things. You cannot accomplish it. It is God's work in you that he is doing. Okay? You need to know both those things and hold them out. If you're going to attempt to live the life that he's about to call us to, or he's about to call the church of Philippi to in us. Okay? We must pursue these things. And it is God who wills and works. Alright? So, how should we then live? All right? Three interesting ideas. There's different ways we could go in this passage. There's different things that we should we could pull out. But I want to. I want you to think about three ideas. How should we then live? First off, we need to live like we're setting the example for the world. Or verse fourteen: Do all things without grumbling or dispute. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, I don't feel very much like that passage describes me. Okay? But he is calling us to something. He is saying, you were made in Christ to be an example to the world. Grumbling and disputing, he starts off, are two things that are particularly detrimental to unity, which is sort of the larger thing that we've been talking about for for the last few weeks, right? Grumbling and disputing hinder unity. They hurt unity, okay? I had a conversation with, with a brother this week where we were talking about that very idea. Even when people are just have different factions and stuff like that, like there's no way, people can still be at peace and try to, you know, Keep good relationships and stuff like that, but there's no way that that, that can hurt you in some way. It's hard to stand strong, to strive together, to be courageous when all anybody focuses on is failure and disappointment. Right? That, that's just the way the world is. Uh, and it, and it's not just, and I think this is the point in this passage, even though Paul is, is loosely referencing that unity, it's not just to for those things that why he's talking about this. Okay? Um, it's also because all of us are called to live a life that sets an example for everyone else. That's how we're supposed to live our lives, dreams. And, and listen to that wording, because it says you are called to be a light. Where? In this twisted and crooked world. Okay? Man, we are in the midst of a twisted and crooked world, Okay, I'll just throw this in as a side. Most of you guys are aware of what was going on at Baribola College this weekend um, with, with the Pride Festival, but here's the deal. The issue, okay, it was not homosexuality or transgenderism or any of those things that were the primary issue that was at the base. The issue that put this thing in the public eye was the question as to whether children can be exposed to these things or not, right? That, the, the fact that that is the issue shows that we are way down the river, folks, okay? Like, we're not even dealing with these issues that are the of saying, right and wrong, human sexuality, and things like that. We are asking the question, should we allow children to be exposed to these things? Should it be legal for children to, to, to have access to these things or whatever? We live in a crooked and twisted world, and we're called to be lights in that world. All that is to say is this. You should live your life like people are watching. You know why? Because they are. People are watching. So you've probably done this before. you probably all had this experience. I told you the story before about me and James. Little James at the, at the comic book convention and not wanting to pay a full price ticket for him or whatever. Okay, that's a fail. Don't do that, right? But here's an example of something where I was like, yeah, do this. Okay. Um, and you've probably done it too, cause we, we I think I shared stories with y'all about this before. You're at a grocery store and you get your change at the end of the, um, uh you know enter the, the paying for it or whatever and, and you go eh, I think they probably gave me too much money but I'm not sure I don't want to hold up line so you walk out you get back in your car you look at the receipt you look at the change they gave you and you know what they overchanged they gave you $10, twenty dollars too much in your change you got an opportunity right there this happened to me it was with one of the girls I can't remember I, and I, in that moment, I said, Hey, you know what, Alice? They gave me too much money. We're going to go back in and we're going to give them a Um, now here's the deal. You know what? Most of us are oftentimes want to say, what am I say? It's not my problem. It's a multi-million dollar company. So what if they gave me $10 over? Who cares? Right? i go about my business and, and live my life. Okay. But here's the deal. I went back in. Because that day, the spirit was saying, "You know what? There are people watching. Your uh, daughter's watching. That clerk may be watching. The lady behind in the line is watching. The manager who hears the story later is watching. There are people who are watching." Now, again, if I walked away, nobody would have been the wiser. they got to the end of the day, that girl would have been a ten dollars short on her till. She probably got in a little bit of trouble. She might have even gotten fired, which is a whole nother. Thing to think about, but not, not in the, in the purview here. But people are watching and somebody needs to know that there are people who are willing to come back and be honest. You say, my integrity is not worth the $10. And again, as I confess frequently, there are times where I have tried to sell my integrity for $10. Okay. But if we keep that idea all the time in our heads if people are watching, We live our lives most of the time like, and what difference does it make? Nobody notices, nobody cares. The truth is, I think we say that to ourselves oftentimes because we don't want people looking at us. We prefer to live low key in shadows. That way we can live self-centered, disobedient lives comfortably. That shouldn't be an option for a follower of Jesus. So you guys probably, since we are here in downtown, you, you pass by Altered State all the time and your drives and stuff. And Altered State has a little motto, right? And their motto for their company is stand out for good. Okay. Again, I don't know anything about the company itself, but the motto is great. Could be a Christian motto. Okay. I think it's intended to be a Christian motto that we should stand out, that we should live like people are going to notice, but we should live like people are going to notice for good or the cause of Christ. Alright? So that's the first thing. Live like people are watching. Two. And I didn't have any better way of wording this, so it's kind of working. Live so that the people who have invested in you will be proud. Verse 16. Holding fast to your word so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run, bang, or labor in Individualism is the water that we swim in in the West. It goes back to at least ancient Greece. It has reasserted itself throughout history, even in Christian movements, Reformation, Enlightenment, the American family, all these different times. At the heart of it sits this question, should I pursue what is best for me or should I pursue what is best for my family, the community? In my estimation, Christianity actually leans into both in certain ways, right? So, for example, sin and salvation are very individualist uh, in a church in a lot of ways. You are accountable for your own life and faith. Your family and your community cannot believe for you. But also, it's true that they're, um, that the good of others and even the opinion of others plays a very central role in the Christian um, worldview. We talk about this in terms of our ownership. The beginning and end of the eldership uh, characteristics in, in First Timothy both have to do with your reputation in the community. Okay? Not about what you've actually done, necessarily. Certainly not about an action that you've taken or not taken. But about how you are perceived by the community. Okay? That's a significant thing in terms of uh, the, the Christian family. Think about Consider this. The fourth commandment. What does the fourth commandment say? You start going, oh, I do it. Honor your father and mother. Not just obey your father and mother. That's usually what we boil it down to. It means obey your parents or whatever. But it doesn't say that. It says honor your father and mother. Showing honor to your parents is a bigger deal than just obey. And it's a Ten Commandments level ethical motivation for us, right? There are people in this world who have invested a lot in this. People who have expended a lot of time, prayer, energy, resources, and hope. And here's the reality: you owe this. You may not feel like you did, and I know that even me just saying that you owe those people something pushes against all your American individualistic sensibilities. Parents and family are obviously the first one to come to mind, but pastors, teachers, mentors, employers, friends, have all invested in your life, and they want to see you flourish, right? And here's the deal. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, I want you to live in such a way that makes me feel like I haven't wasted my life. That's a heavy thing, all right? It's a heavy thing, particularly in our culture. One of the most striking things culturally about the last 20 or 30 years for me that I've noticed is how people expect everyone around them to bend over backwards to affirm them and their view of themselves. That's one of the interesting things that has happened, particularly in the millennial, and Gen Z areas, okay? Whether that's the issue of gender, sexuality, religiously, lifestyle, whatever. How many times have you heard somebody say something online, in person, like, my family or friends or whoever just couldn't accept me for who I was? They couldn't affirm me and my choices. Therefore, I had to kick them to the wayside and go about my life. That is the definition of individualism, right? That is the definition of saying, at the end of the day, it is my desires so that everyone else around me has to line up. But here's the reality. In most places, in most cultures, or most history, the mindset would have been the exact opposite of that. People would not have been sitting there saying, how can the whole community line up with who I say I am? But instead they would be saying, how can I honor my family? How can I honor my parents? How can I honor my ancestors who are dead? How can I make my community proud? How can I live in such a way that those who have given and sacrificed for me feel like they haven't wasted their lives doing it? Here's the deal. I know what you're thinking, at least a little bit. You're thinking, Ash, you can't live that way, right? You have to do what is right for you. You have to make yourself happy. You can't live for other people and their desires all the time. And certainly there can be dangers and dysfunctions there, right? Okay. Certainly there can be. But also, are you getting that idea from Jesus and his word? Or are you getting that from the world? Because I'm not sure that I would hear Jesus say something like, I gotta do what's right for me. I gotta make myself happy. I can't be thinking about other people all the time. That just doesn't sound like something that you can get from the word. Again, Ash, that's pretty heavy. Right? It's hard to live that way. I'm not sure that I can bear the weight of another person's pride in meaning. I can't literally live for someone else. And I got news for you. It gets way worse in the next place. It gets way harder. If that is too heavy, the last section says this. We've said live like people are watching because they all are. Live like you're trying to make other people who invested in your life proud of you. And then the last thing is this. Live like somebody would be okay to die for you. Verse 7, He says, Even if I am poured out to drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul saying, it ends up being the case that I have to die. That is what he means when he says, pour out... Um, as it be, be poured out to drink off them, that if he has to die in some way for their faith, for their faithfulness in Christ, if being if them being faithful to Christ in Philippi costs Paul his life, Paul says, "I'll be happy. I'll have given my life for something that was worthwhile." That is your holiness, your sanctification. If it costs me my life but the purchase that I'm paying, the thing that I'm buying with my life is your faithfulness, then I rejoice. It's worthless. Now notice something. If you thought the last point was unfair about living your life to make another person proud, notice something. It goes both ways. Paul may hope that the Philippians will live their lives in some sense to make him proud. But it's also true that he is living his life for them, even to the point that he's willing to give his life, if it is for their sanctification. Now, I don't know about the moms in here, probably moms too, but I know the dads, okay? I know the dads in here have asked themselves this question. Who are the people in this world that I'm willing to die for? You have. I mean, it's a man question. Right? You think to yourself, if the situation were to occur that I had to lay down my life to save another person's life, who are those people out there? Maybe your wife, if your children, if your parents, maybe a close friend, but here's the craziness of this passage, and what it's asking is, it's not asking the question, who are you willing to die for? It's asking the question, who would be willing to die for you? And have you lived a life that somebody out there would say, I think I'd be willing to die for you? It's a rare thing, okay? Let's, let's acknowledge that. It's not something that's just flippantly given, okay? It's a rare thing. Paul acknowledges that it's a rare thing in the book of Romans, actually. He says this in Romans 5, where one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. So what's he saying? He's like, man, most people won't even die for a righteous person. Like a righteous person whose life was at risk, most people would be like, Good luck, bro. You know, it's not a problem. Your life is in danger. I'm going to preserve my own life. And he says, but you know what? There are some circumstances in life, and we've heard of those in stories, and we honor those where someone has died for a righteous person. Maybe it's a soldier who's dying for their commandment. Maybe it's a friend who's giving his life to save a friend. The amazing grace of Jesus is obviously that Jesus is willing to give his life for his enemies. Not even righteous people. Jesus dies for people who hate him and oppose but Paul says, "If I had to give my life for your faithfulness, it would be worth it. I would be happy." You so probably a little, a little, another war movie reference. This one, um, one of my favorite movies of all time, Saving the Private Ryan. Um, and probably, if you've seen it, uh, probably I would bet most of you have. You're familiar with the general plot. There is a platoon that has been tasked with finding the title character, Brian Ryan, in the midst of the chaos of the D-Day invasion. So Brian is parachuted in, is behind enemy lines. This group that has come in with the D-Day Normandy invasion is tasked with finding this young man, getting him out of the fighting and getting him home, a visit for various services, right? Um, and in the process of getting, finding him and getting him to save, by the end of the movie, it has cost the lives of almost every single member of the, of the party, right? They've all um, been killed in the attempt to save Friday. right? So there's this scene at the very end of the movie, it's interesting because, as a little fun fact, the sound editing was not great on the movie, so if you saw it at the theater, which I did, you couldn't understand what the guy said. And so you ended the movie, you're like, but what happened? You couldn't, you couldn't hear it. You had to wait until it came out of video to figure out what did happen. But the very last, one of the last scenes of the movie is Tom Hanks' character, who's the captain of the group. Um, the, the battle is over and they've won. Brian Ryan is alive, saved, and Tom Hanks grabs him, pulls him close to him, whispers up in his and he says, earn this. That's the picture. Paul is saying, I'm willing to die for you if I have to. But I want you to earn it. I want you to live a life that is worthy of what it has cost me. And more importantly, what it has cost Christ. Because that's reality. When you hear that and you say, man, that's a heavy thing. How can I be worthy of another person's sacrifice and their life? But here's the reality. You're already on it's already happening in your life right now as a Christian because that's what it means to walk worthy of the gospel. The life that we are called to is to be worthy of the one who has died for us. Worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So again, you say, but Ash, I, I can't. I, You're asking the impossible in those days. I can't live that way. I fail at so many points every single day in this. I know. Me too. But that's the faithfulness to which we strive. How do we do that? Work out your own salvation for your treatment. For it is God who works in you for his will to work for his good and pleasure. See now why that Statement preface the rest of the conversation, why that short little passage on the relationship between our role and faithfulness and God's role and faithfulness is so important. Because if it's all up to us to do this, it would be a crushing and crippling request to live that way. To live like you're being watched. To live to make those who invested in you proud and to live so that you would be worthy of their giving their life for you. And that would be a crushing weight. But at the same time, if we had absolutely no role in it, and was just something that God did on his own, we basically play the role of God's pets. Deterministic robots to whom life and faith And everything else just happened. But what happens in the gospel? God us; He humanizes us, you would say, towards Christ's lives, towards true humanity by saying, I will be here to empower. I will be here to accomplish. But I want you to strive in this. I think probably the case would be as if Mm-hmm. 10 other guys preached this passage. Those are not the things that they can zoom in on. Because there's other stuff in there. There's these, as, as you look through it, um, each of the, before Paul asks anything of each of these guys, he talks about, you know I want you to hold fast to the word. I want you to not grumble and in, 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 have this, each one has these things that we can focus on. And yet the weight of all of them, to me, is the stuff below the actual commands, right? So the weight of the passage is, is the kind of life that Paul seems to just expect and to call the church in Philippi. Too. So what I hope the case is, is that as we read these things, this is talking this way, knowing that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, that it makes us more conscientious about carrying that very weight. And we would go out here tomorrow thinking, you know what? Or go out, we come out in the world tomorrow and say, the world is watching. And I need this to live in a way that makes those who could invest in me proud. That those people would say, man, you know, the world may be falling apart, but so-and-so, man, he's a good egg. Uh, he's following Jesus. He's trusting in the Lord. She is, is, is repenting of sin and following after, after the Lord. And that ultimate reality of saying that somebody would actually be willing to give their life for you. Knowing that someone already has. Jesus Christ has given us something for you. Let's walk hard. Oh, you got again. Now the things that you call us to do. after the way we are in our fallen nature. The gravity of the weight of them seems so big that they seem like things that is almost silly to ask of us because we are so far from accomplishment. And yet, you have promised that you are accomplishing these things now, that you are working, that you are willing these things according to your good pleasure. Father, you ask that we would strive, that we would pursue, that we would seek after these things, that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we would live as people who are trying to apply the gospel to every single aspect of our lives. That we would live as people who are trying to live worthy of Christ in every aspect of our lives. Father, we know that you are working and willing. We pray that you would continue to work will. God help us, encourage us, guide us, convict us, strengthen us, help us grow in knowledge, help us to make improvements. God, we trust you. Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. He said, "I'm sorry. You It's a Amen. Good to see you. Glad you're here this week. Um, Hope you have a good later day tomorrow. Um, If you wouldn't mind as we kind of close up and clean up, if you would stick around and and help just for an extra few seconds. Um, So if we got a smaller crowd tonight, if we could all kind of have all hands on deck for a few minutes and and get the place back into order, that would be awesome. Uh, Understanding you've got to get out of here for some reason. That's okay. So but thank you. Here's the benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you. Peace. See you next week.